0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Section by section, uh, really verse by verse, we walk through this together and and, uh, we're in the middle of the plagues. We're kind of nearing the end of what God did in the plagues in in Egypt. Uh, And today, as you're turning there to Exodus 9, we come to um, this seventh plague, the plague of God sending a hailstorm. Uh, now, I've shared this with you before, but it's too appropriate for me not to share it again. So if you've heard it, just smile and laugh at me and, 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 and pretend like you've never heard it before. But um, about four or five years ago, we were fairly new here at the time, and, uh, and Twitter was a new thing. And uh, it was kind of new to me, and it was certainly new to my son. And, uh, and we got on Twitter, and, and he had a Twitter account. And, uh, and one night, I'm over here at the church somewhere, whatever, a storm came up. And uh, I was just kind of killing time, and I looked on my son's Twitter account, and um, my son had tweeted out we had hell at our house tonight. But he didn't spell it H A I L. <laughs> it was H E W L. And uh, you know, I you know quickly tried to issue a retraction and uh, some things that were going on there. But uh, uh, he has since learned how to spell and. Uh, <laughs> That happened about the time he transferred to District Four. Oh, no, sorry about that. But uh, sorry, school started back this week, and we're we're so thankful for uh, for our teachers and uh, and those. That, uh, pray that you had a good week, or that you're going to have a, a good week and a good year this uh, coming into this school year. But uh, today, I want us to look at, continue to look at what God is doing through these plagues. God is continuing to show His power over Pharaoh and over Egypt and, and over all the gods of the land, and really that his name would be great in all the earth. That's what we're going to see today. So let's look at this together, and then we'll walk through this as we look at the seventh plague, beginning Exodus chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. Follow along as I read. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh to, and say to him... Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve or worship me. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on him. On them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, "'Stretch out your hand toward heaven, "'so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, "'on man and beast and every plant of the field "'in in the land of Egypt. "'And Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, "'and the Lord sent thunder and hail, "'and fire ran down to the earth. "'And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. "'There was hail and fire flashing continually "'in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail.' such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said to him, As soon as sinned yet again and hardened his heart he and his servants so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses this is the longest recording of any of the plagues Uh, we've just come through a couple of very short recordings of, of the plagues this is by far the longest and as a Preacher who likes to go verse by verse and to look at everything that's in the text, this is difficult to do. So I will not be covering every single uh, bit of what's here. But I do want to show you a few things I believe God would have us to look at this morning. First point is this as bad as it has been, it could have been worse. As bad as it has been, it could have been worse. This is the point where when God says to, through Moses, By now, I could have stretched out my hand and sent pestilence on the land and wiped you from the face of the earth. It points to the fact that God sometimes, most of the time, exercises restraint in how he deals with people, his creation. I wonder if we stop to think about the truth that's being taught here. I wonder if we stop and just realize how many times we could have been cut off from the earth. I sat with a men's group this, this past Tuesday night at Mutt's, and we had an incredible time together. And I listened to stories of, uh, from, from one of our guys in particular of things that he had done and, and reasons that he should no longer be here. But knowing that God was with him all the time, that God had protected him and kept him here to this moment. I mean, you think about how many stupid things you have done in your life. Now, if we were just to open the mic and open the floor here, you might be a little hesitant to be the first one to jump out there. But I feel like once somebody got the ball rolling, we could come up with a lot of dumb things we've done. Uh, early on in, in, in my marriage, uh, Lan and I lived in this little house, first house we ever bought. It was in Corbin, Kentucky. We bought that house for $42,000. And uh, it was you know, it, it a nice house. We, we fixed it up. And, uh, and there was a water heater in the bathroom. And it was a gas water heater. And it was an eyesore, and, uh, and we just we wanted to kind of box that in, so I, with all my carpentry skills, decided to build a box to, to, to close this thing in. And so I, I framed this thing out, and I, and I, closed, I wrapped it in this, this nice wood, and I stained the thing, and I made sure there was ventilation so that the, the pilot light could get all it needed to get, and I felt really good about myself. And, and it came time to clean up, and I had spilled a little bit of the stain kind of on the bathtub and, and a little on the floor. So I, I thought, I'll do what, you know, you do. And I went and got a can of gasoline and, and uh, decided to, to clean up this stain. And I went through all of that with the pilot like that. And not until a few weeks later when I was telling that story to some men at our church did they say, you're an idiot. <laughs> It's a wonder that I didn't get blown up within the first couple of years of, of our marriage. <laughs> you, you look back at some of the stupid things you've done and you see how God was watching over you. You get in a car today. And you don't think about it. You, you get on I-85, which is taking your life in your own hands anyway. and you get out there with other people that are dri- driving missiles up and down 85. Doing well over speed limit. And you don't think about God's protecting hand over you. How he restrains those things that could, could by all means happen to you. We don't think about those. We get in cars. We get in planes. Not to mention the fact that we so often are guilty of running our own hellbound race. And you think about how, how often and how... Many times have you ran from God, your own hellbound race, as hard and fast away from God as you possibly could run, but God, in His restraining mercy, has never allowed you to cross that finish line. You're here today by the grace of God. And God, here through Moses, says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, by now I could have wiped you off the face of the earth, but I haven't. As bad as it has been, could have been worse. We should thank God for His restraining hand. The second point is this as big as it has been, it is bigger still. As big as it has been, it is bigger still. In verse 16, God says to Pharaoh, For this reason, for this purpose, I have raised you up so that my name might be known throughout all the earth. You see, this thing is bigger, way bigger than Pharaoh. It's way bigger than Egypt. It's way bigger than any rescue of any one people on the planet throughout any point in history. This is bigger than all of that. The point of the Exodus, the point of the entire Bible, but particularly here as we walk through Exodus, the point is not about Pharaoh or about Moses being some hero that we should look to at any rate. The point is God. Point is for us to see God's glory in all the earth. I want you to notice the repetition in our text today. In verse 14, the word earth is used there so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. It points to the fact that nothing on earth compares to God. Nothing ever has and nothing ever will compare to God. In verse 15, he says. You would have been cut off from the earth. It points to the fact that not only is there nothing that compares to God. But there will be nothing. Nothing will be allowed to stand in the way of God. And in verse 16 the Bible says. So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Which means not only is there nothing that compares to God. No one will stand in the way of God. But there will be no corner of the planet. That is out of earshot. Of God's glory. Think of the, the sweeping nature of that. That nothing will stand in the way of God. That God has the right. And the ability. And he does raise up people. And uses them. However he wants to use them. We bristle when we hear this. Because we live in such a world. Such a culture that says. You're first. Nobody else matters but you. Go out and get what's yours. But the Bible teaches us that this world was not made for our glory. It was made for His. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11 verse 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Do you hear that? All things does not mean all things except you. You. All things except humanity. It means all things. God is sovereign. He is the creator. He can do whatever he wants. This is why later on Paul quotes this very verse in Romans 9. Romans 9 verses 14 through 18 says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? We think of this issue of God raising up people and using them however he wants to use them. Is he unjust?" In doing this, Paul says, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has raised you up, on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raise you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. This is a hard teaching for us to get our minds around because we think that it makes God unjust or in the wrong somehow. If you go on and you read the rest of of Romans chapter 9, it goes on to talk about what right does the clay have to speak to the potter? and say, why have you made me like this? And it goes on to say that, could it be that the potter has made some vessels for displaying his glory and mercy and grace, and some he has made to display his power in carrying out justice? God can do whatever he wants to do, and I would remind you this morning from our text, as big as this is, I've often, as I've studied, I've wondered, should I have, should I have taken each plague and walked through them one at a time for 10 weeks? Is this a little overkill? Should I not have maybe just taken all 10 and said, here we go, here's what God's doing. But I think it's good exercise for us to walk through them one by one to see what God is doing, to see how big this is, what it felt like to a small degree in the life of the Egyptians. And as big as this is, it is bigger still. It is about God and his name being proclaimed throughout all the earth. Well, let's get into the meat of the text today. Here's the third point. God gave a test. God gave a test to see who had taken the place to heart. First week of school. How many of you had tests the first week of school? Yeah, I saw some hands going up. Uh, God gives a test here. God gives a test to see who has taken the plagues to heart. In verse 18 and 19, he says, Behold, about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send this storm like it's never been before. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to go out and get your livestock out of the field and get your slaves out of the field and bring them into shelter. If not, they will all die. This is the first time God has given them an opportunity to avoid the plague." He's given them advanced warning. In fact, he's given Pharaoh warning before that if Pharaoh would repent and let the people go, then he would not send the plague. But this is the first time that he has warned the people and given them an opportunity to escape the plague that is coming. But when God mentioned this through Moses about sending this hailstorm, they must have thought, what's the big deal? We've seen hail before. We, we, we have hailstorms all the time. Our livestock stay out there. It's not a big deal. It, you know, they, they find shelter and, and, uh, and everyone is, is, is fine through a hailstorm. What's the big deal? But look at the way God describes the storm that he's going to send. He describes it as very heavy hail. Hailstorms still plague the, the, the globe. And every year there are people that die in hailstorms. Hundreds, in fact, of hailstorms occur every year around the world. Uh, in, in 1888, 240 people were, were killed and hundreds more were injured in, in a hailstorm in India. In 1984, a single hailstorm killed or injured 400 people in Germany. The, uh, the largest hailstone on modern records uh, is about 2.2 pounds. Can you imagine that falling from the sky? Uh, you know, that take your car in after that one. Let me see what they say. Right, Tom? Yeah, that's a little different than than normal hail. 2.2 pounds. Hail falls from the sky at about 164 feet per second. That's a little over half of a football field per second. 2.2 pounds of frozen ice coming at you. It's usually accompanied by wind and rain and lightning and and we know here from the text that's exactly what happened. God describes it as as a hailstorm such as Never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, this is a big statement, but maybe this is exaggeration on God's part. Well, I would disagree, but but maybe you might think this is exaggeration on God's part. Why would God say this? Well, number one, because I believe this is what he was going to do, he's going to send a hailstorm like never before. But also, the kings, the pharaohs of that day, if they wanted to brag about and boast about what they were doing and their accomplishments, they would use this exact phrase. They would say something like, I'm doing more than has ever been done since this became an issue. And what God is doing here is God is using the exact same phrase that Pharaoh must have used about himself maybe dozens of times to describe this storm as a way of saying, Pharaoh, you think you're all that, but I'm about to show you your power is nothing compared to me. My power is greater than you. It's greater than all the gods of the land. God describes this storm. He says, every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hell falls on them. Verse 23. This is, I mean, this is the first time human life will be taken. We've seen the lives of other things be, be taken, cattle and frogs and other things. But this is the first time that human lives have been taken. These plagues are a- escalating and getting worse as we go along. In verse 23 it says, The Lord said, Thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. The imagery there is, is God speaking and fire running, screaming out of the presence of God to do his bidding. Hail raining like like missiles just being shot from heaven. Verse 24 says, fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. The other day I was out mowing my yard and I was trying to get it through, get it it finished before uh, the storm was coming. I could see the sky was getting dark and I was making my way around and I felt a couple of raindrops and I thought, well, if it rains, I just got to get this done. I just had a few... More rounds to go, and uh, and I was coming back around, and all of a sudden, fire shot from the sky, and uh, and immediately it's one of those where it comes down and immediately thunder. You know what I'm talking about? And you know it's right there. That lawnmower just wouldn't go around again. <laughs> it just went park itself, and I just got inside. Imagine a storm where lightning is continual. It's just, there's never a moment where the sky gets dark because there is constant lightning. Verse 25, he, the, the hail will strike down everything in the field. Man and beast, plant of the field, it broke every tree. The word break there means to smash. The picture here is not only were people and animals killed, not only were plants beaten down, but the trees were just smashed and just destroyed in the storm. This is, I think, am I right? This is, this is the 10-year anniversary of Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, I think. Um, you remember the devastation that was seen in that? This is the picture here. That there's, this is going to be so devastating, and God gives them advanced warning. What do you do with advanced warning? We don't do as much with advanced warning here as they might in places where they are prone to getting tornadoes and hurricanes. We probably don't take them to heart as much here as maybe out in Kansas or parts of Texas where those things will sweep through and, and they can be absolutely devastatingly deadly. We may, I enjoy a good storm at times. I enjoy to sit and watch a good storm. Maybe you're like me. You'd like to be out on the porch and things flashing all around you. Maybe you're just the opposite, and maybe you're running for cover, and you're in the bathtub with a mattress over you. you know, <laughs> but What do you do with an advance warning? Think of the grace that God gives them here, but it's also a test. The choice was theirs to make. What would they do with advance warning? Would they believe God? Because It's one thing to hear Moses say, it's going to be this, and it's going to be this, and it's going to be this, and, be this, and this will be the result. It's another thing to say, I will take God's word. Would they believe God and move their animals and their servants into shelter? Or would they ignore God? Would they ignore this warning through the lips of Moses and say, ah, there's probably nothing to worry about. We'll take our chances with the gods of Egypt here. They had plenty of gods they could have cried out to and prayed to. Maybe they were... I won't go there for the sake of time, but they had this choice to make: would they believe God or would they ignore God? And and I would point out to you that this has always been the test that God has offered. The test has always been: will you believe my word? From the moment that that serpent walked into the garden and approached Eve, with Adam standing off in the wings, and said. Did God really say? I mean, God knows that if you eat of this, your eyes will be open. What's He doing? He's casting doubt on the Word of God. And it started there, and it has not, He's not changed His strategy since. The issue is, will you take God at His Word? Philip Graham Ryken, in the commentary I read this week, said, A heart that is not set on God's Word becomes dead set against God's will. I think that's true. You and I as Christians, church members here, have a choice to make every single day, whether we're in this place or when we leave this place and you go to work tomorrow, you will have a choice. Am I going to take God and His word and believe His word and act on His word or am I not? Am I going to ignore His word and assume that Maybe he didn't mean that anyway. Our text teaches us that salvation always comes by responding to God's word. Here, those who heeded the warning and brought their animals and their servants in didn't have any casualties. They lost cross, but they didn't lose life because they heeded the warning. The Bible gets all the more serious when it begins to point us to not just physical life, but eternal life. And tells us that the only way that you and I can be saved from our sinful, needy, desperate, hell-bound selves is that if we would trust in God's provision of Jesus and his atoning work on the cross, will we take him at his word? Maybe you're an unbeliever sitting in this room today and you've come and you're considering these things, but It has always seemed so hokey to you. Will you today believe God and and what he says about sending his son? Or will you ignore it and say, he doesn't mean that. I mean, it'll come down to the end. He's going to let everybody in anyway. What do you base that on? Will you set your heart on God's word? This is how i am end the sermon today. I've got... Four ways that you could possibly respond to God's word, to this test that God offers. Will you believe my word? The first response is this: fear that is almost faith. Fear that is almost faith. Verse 20: Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. This looks great. Upon this first look. But if we look a little further into the text, we come to verse 30 when Moses said, But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. We don't know exactly how Moses knows this. But what this points to is that there were some of Pharaoh's servants that by now had seen these previous six plagues. And they were well on their way to faith, but they weren't quite there yet. They had seen enough of God, God's doings that they knew that He existed, that He was powerful as all get out, and that you don't mess with Him. And they respond to that. But church, I would tell you that, that it won't save you. Knowing there is a God that He's powerful that He's not messed with does not save you. It says nothing of Christ and trusting in him alone. I don't want to create this division and dichotomy between God and his word because I believe that when God speaks, we look at it not as God, but it is from God. And so when we fear and revere God's word, we are revering and fearing him. But I want you to see here, I think, just a subtle teaching from the text. I think there are people all over our land today that know there's a God, know that maybe he's powerful, maybe that he's not to be messed with, and hope their life doesn't come to a sudden end before they can make things right. But this is fear that is almost faith, but it's not faith. It's altogether possible to have a similar understanding without actually being one of God's children second way to respond to this test of will you believe my word is with foolish lack of fear altogether. It's not a fear that's almost faith, but it's a foolish lack of fear altogether. In verse 21, they didn't pay attention to the word of the Lord. They left their slaves and their animals out there. They just didn't, didn't think about it. How foolish was this, this decision on their part in light of these previous six plagues? And the Nile becomes blood and frogs come up on the land and there's these gnats and and cattle die and all these things. And they don't just happen as this natural process of, of anthrax developing because of this algae that blooms in the water. They happen at the decree and command of God, and they cease at the decree and command of God. They baffle the magicians of the day. So how foolish was this for them to look at this, hear this from Moses and say, "Ah, I'm not bringing my livestock in. I'm not not bringing my people in. It speaks to the blindness of the one without Christ. Oh, how dark it is for a person who does not know the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, In their case, the God of this world, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You and I sitting here today, if you are a believer in this room, the only reason that you and I are believers, that we are safe in Christ, is because at some point, God in His grace came and remove the blinders, caused the scales to fall from our eyes, the way he did with Saul when Saul became Paul. But there's a world out there that is living in darkness and they don't know the depravity. The Bible warns of another judgment with hell stones. Not just this one here in Exodus, but there was one described in the end of time, in Revelation chapter 16. And I don't want to get... Too apocalyptic here for you, but I just want to read this because it is part of the Word of God. It does point to what is really going to happen one day. Revelation chapter 16, verses 17 through 21 says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. A loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquakes, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. You hear the language? The Bible is not a series of multiple little stories that are disconnected. It is one story from beginning to end of God telling his glory among all nations. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. The reality is God tells us in His Word, not just the Egyptians there in this day, that there is a way that you can escape what's coming. He tells them here in Exodus chapter 9, this is what I'm going to do about this time tomorrow, but... If you will bring your people and your livestock out of the field into shelter, you will escape what's coming. Guess what? God has told us in advance what is going to happen in the end for the one who does not turn in faith to his son. We just read it. But here's the good news. There is opportunity for you to run to cover The Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. There's the gospel. Your sin condemns you. He is right to judge you. He is right to punish you. But in His grace, He has punished His Son in your place so that if you would run into Him, You would be kept safe. A third response to will you believe God's word is a false confession that sounds like faith. A false confession that sounds like faith. I want to fly through this, but I want you to see in verses 27 and 28, Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I've sinned. The Lord's in the right, I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder in hell. I will let you go, and you shall not stay any longer. This sounds like Pharaoh has finally come to the place where God's been trying to get into all along. This sounds like a genuine confession. This sounds like Pharaoh is finally turning and repenting of his sin. But if we look a little closer, we see that it's not that at all. Quickly, three reasons why this is a false confession. Number one, Pharaoh didn't confess all his sins. He qualifies it with that little that little two-word phrase. This time. He says, this time I have sinned. I mean, what about the previous six plagues where he hardens his heart and keeps the people there? What about enslaving the people to begin with and loading them down with heavy burdens? What about when he had those Hebrew baby boys thrown into the Nile and executed? What about the times where he's lost he's, put himself up on his pedestal and called himself a god and instructed his people to worship him. What about the time when he has turned to the gods of Egypt and worshipped them? Why does he say this time? In not confessing all his sin, he is minimizing his sin. He's willing to make a few admissions. Well, I've made a few mistakes. But he's not willing to say... My heart is desperately wicked. I am unable to save myself. I am am wrong through and through. And apart from your God, Moses, I have no hope. He never says that. This does not mean that we have to think through and think of every single thing that we sin. But it must mean that we must come to God. Not saying, well, I will hold on to my robe while also reaching out to hold on to God. What it means is, is we say to God, this rope has gotten me nowhere. It's useless that we let go of the rope. And we say, God, apart from you, I'm doomed. Pharaoh's confession was false because he didn't confess all his sins. He doesn't confess his sins to God. He goes to Moses and Aaron and says, hey, will you talk to God for me? Faith must be Personal. Again, Philip Graham Ryken uh, shared this in a previous sermon, but he said, Many desperate people have called for a minister without ever really intending to call upon God. Pharaoh had no personal relationship with this God of Moses. He was still this one that was distant and far off. He was in the category of the other gods, and he knew he couldn't go to God himself, so he just went through Moses. And maybe that's you here today. Maybe today you have, you have no relationship with the Lord. Today you can have one. You don't need to come to the front and speak to a preacher that becomes a mediator between you and God. You can go directly to him by faith in Christ. Christ is the only mediator we will ever need. He's the only one suitable for it because he's the only one who is both God and man. could represent both sides equally. The third reason this is a false confession from Pharaoh is that Pharaoh didn't turn away from his sins. He did not repent. In verse 34, when, when the rain stops, the hail stops, the thunder and lightning stops, Pharaoh turns and says, I'll harden my heart again. I'm not letting these people go. He does it again. He does not turn from his sin. There is a difference between remorse and repentance. To be remorseful is for you to be sorry that you are now experiencing the judgment of God, that you are now feeling the punishment, the consequences of your sin. Remorse can be a good thing when it leads you to repentance, but if it stops short of repentance, it is not repentance. Repentance is this new heart given to you by God that says, I must leave off of those things. It results in a changed life. The way you can tell if someone has repented is to watch what happens after. This doesn't mean that we will live perfectly, but it does mean that we can't just go back and lay in that sin again. The fourth and final way is this. I know we're way out of time. The fourth and final way is this. faith that that you respond to God's test, test is with faith that takes God's word to heart. Verse 26, only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hell. You say, well, why is that? Why why did God protect them in this? Well, ultimately, it comes down to God's covenant and his keeping of that covenant with Israel. But we go back to chapter 4 of Exodus and we look at verses 30 and 31. It was there where they heard from Moses and Aaron all that God said and told them to do. And they said there, we will believe. The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. This is the way to respond to God's word. Will you believe him? Will you take him at his word? God's Word tells us we are sinners, we are desperate, we are needy, we are doomed for hell. That the only way that you and I can escape the H-E-L-L that is coming is by believing, taking God at His Word, trusting that Jesus and His atoning work on the cross is the only escape. Will you take God at his word let's pray Lord I pray God that you would take the preaching of your word and God you would do what you do the Holy Spirit would lead us into truth God that in this place that you would draw people to yourself that you would cause today God the scales to fall from people's eyes God, that today the believers in this place, the scales will fall from their eyes and those everyday decisions of whether they will trust and believe in your word. God, for the unbeliever that's in this place, God, I pray that you would cause the scales to fall. And God, today that you might move them from death to life for your own namesake. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to, uh, to think about, to just contemplate and think on what he said, and how God may be calling you to some action. Maybe it's, a, it's an action of repentance. Maybe it's an action of just believing something that you've been struggling with, something that God has explicitly and clearly called you to, but you've been sinful in your disbelieving and ignoring God.